It was uh, encouraging to see that video testimony from Barb Speck. Uh, I've actually received one of those letters of encouragement from her, and it came at a very timely time and season. And I, I have to say, uh, when she talks about the ministry of intercessory prayer, uh, when, when I received that letter, boy, I could really tell that she is a woman who is gifted in knowing exactly how to pray and what to pray for uh, for those who are in ministry. So very encouraged by Bud and Barb and their ministry overseas with Wycliffe. We're talking today about partnerships, and our verse actually uh, even would facilitate thinking around the idea of partnerships and honoring those who we labor together with in gospel ministry. So let's go ahead and say the verse together for this month. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Uh, certainly a passage that is just loaded with implications related to partnerships and different partnerships that we might find ourselves in, in ministry and in life as well. As I stand here this morning, I'm thankful uh, for the many partnerships that are a vibrant part uh, of my own both personal life and ministry life. And I want to do an activity with you this morning, a little game to stir our thinking and to get our imaginations moving in the right direction together corporately as a congregation this morning. So we're talking about partnerships. I was thinking uh, of some dynamic duos throughout history. And so I'm going to throw out the first name and you're going to help me with the second name. We're going to start with a few really easy ones, but then they're going to get harder, okay? There's seven of them. Let's see how we do, okay? Simon N. Good. I just wanted to hear everybody say Garfunkel together, see what that sounded like. So, good. Nice. All right, kids, help me out here. Mario N. Yeah, good. Oh, some adults knew that one too, okay? Here we go for the ladies out there. Thelma N. Yeah. Laurel N. Oh, lots of comedy fans in here, I see. All right, let's see if we have any 90s children in the audience today. Joey and... Ooh. Nobody watch Friends? Joey and Blossom would be one. <laughs> Joey and Chandler. Oh, man. All right, Lennon and... McCartney, yeah. And Butch Cassidy and... Sundance Kid. Wow, okay, there we go. Lots there. Very good. Well, in life and in ministry, the reality is that we have been created in Christ for community and for partnerships. There are no lone rangers. And Jesus, he gave us that in his own example. And when he was on earth, even being fully God, he was still in lockstep with the Father and the Spirit. He came and he dwelt with us, with humanity, in community, and in partnership with us. He called disciples unto himself. If anyone was powerful and equipped enough to do the ministry all by himself, it would have been Jesus. And yet, he called a team and surrounded himself with a group of people. He established the community of communities. We call it the church. And he inhabited and lived out the ideals of, a king, of the kingdom, something that represents community, partnerships, togetherness. 
And it's interesting, as we continue through the letter of Philippians, we spent the last few weeks looking at Paul's words in uh, verse 1, uh, all the way through uh, the example in verse 18 of Jesus. Paul's not going to allow us in this letter to look away so quickly from the example of Jesus. Now, we might look at verses 19 to 30 at the end of chapter 2, and we might say, how does this relate? All these powerful and effective words about Jesus right before, perhaps some of the most beautiful words regarding Christ in all of the scriptures. It relates. What we're looking at to relates. If we've heard anything and taken anything over the past few weeks together, focusing on Christ and his example, I hope that we have taken his life and his mind and his attitude as things that are to be the preeminent example for us as both individuals and as a Christian community. You remember, Paul's reprioritized our allegiance and our citizenship on the person and the example of Jesus. He's given us concrete methods for living out and bearing the example of Jesus in our individual lives, but also in our corporate lives. And so our text today is coming at the end of Philippians chapter 2. You can take your Bibles or devices and turn there. Verses 19 to 30 at the end of chapter 2. And as we unpack this text this morning, we want to explore how Paul viewed ministry as a corporate activity, not something that we do alone. And so there are three questions that we want to unpack regarding ministry partnerships today. The first is this. Why is ministry partnership such a vital asset to the Christian community? And then what are some ways that our ministry partnership serves us as both individuals and Christian communities? And then finally, how can ministry partnerships facilitate the patterns and attitudes of humility and interdependence that Jesus demonstrated? Before we read uh, verses 19 to 30 of God's word today in Philippians chapter 2, let's take a moment and pray and ask God to help us. Father, we thank you for your word we thank you that we can huddle together as a community of called out saints and believers, some who know you well, some who have just begun a relationship with you and others who perhaps do not yet know you. You've brought us here. You've huddled us around your word. And right now, as we move into this portion of this service, your spirit is alive and active and working because your word is powerful and effective. And so, Lord, we gather uh, not as an activity where one is standing here lecturing, but, but as an activity where together our minds are surrounding this text. And we're looking at it. Our eyes are on it together. Our hearts are open. Our minds are open. And we're trusting that your spirit is working even now. And he is going to apply to each one of us exactly what we need so that when we leave this place today, we are more fully formed and functioning individuals, believers in a community of believers that can honor you and that can reflect the priorities and values of your son, Jesus, in the world that you have planted us in. Father, we want to be good representatives of Jesus as we go into our work week and as we look ahead for what you've called us to. And we pray that your word today would help form us in that manner. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Philippians 2, 
verses 19 to 30. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. As we read this text this morning, we're reminded that though Paul was under house arrest, he was not alone. So often, and, and particularly within our culture, there's this dangerous ideal of uh, individualism, and sometimes even uh, a really far independence that pervades our thinking uh, from shaping and forming the patterns of our lives in a corporate way. It's, just, it's almost as if we're taught from a very young age that it's shameful, even humiliating, to have to ask someone for their help or support. And we learn this as children in both subtle and not so subtle ways. The inherited ideal of our culture appears sometimes that if we work hard enough, we should be able to live and sustain ourselves without any need for significant partnerships or support networks outside of our families and our homes. But friends, for Paul, and for the people of the early church, this ideal was simply unattainable. And we, we forget sometimes that the early church, the church in Philippi, they were the minority at the time. They were the ones who were marginalized. They needed and practiced strong reliance on one another. We often forget that the early church was by and large underrepresented in their communities, um, within their broader communities. The large majority at the time were pagan temple worshipers and followers of Judaism. It was they who dominated the landscape of the Roman world. And at the time of Paul's writings, Christians, or as they were known, followers of the way, they would have represented a very small percentage of the general population. The early Christian communities not only needed partnerships to grow and flourish, but as we're going to see in our text today, it was these very partnerships that became an incredible source of hope, of cheer, rejoicing, support, and encouragement. 
God was at work through these partnerships. He was using them to establish and build up and equip his church for the work that he was calling the church to do. And as Christians and Christian faith communities in America, it's amazing to me for all of us in this room. I think we're kind of united in this. We have long enjoyed living and thriving in a country where Christianity is the majority religion. And it has been, almost from our country, if not from our country's very origin. And this reality has sometimes clouded our ability to understand the true need and value of partnership in ministry. I think what sometimes happens is we sometimes read and interpret the Bible through a lens of individualism and independence that simply wasn't a reality for the early authors of Scripture. And sometimes this can be dangerous, friends, and we need to be careful to hold ourselves accountable to recover and maintain a commitment to understanding the Bible as it was situated and received within its historical context. And sometimes our own cultural blinders can lead us to misreading, misinterpreting, even misusing scriptures as we fail to recognize how our inherited traditions have formed our understandings. For Paul and the founders of the early church, Christian partnerships were lifelines. They were necessities. They were significant. They were uh, avenues to meaningful relationships within Christian congregations and the people that they had been physically separated from. And these sorts of partnerships encourage the very patterns of Christ that Paul has endorsed earlier in this chapter, pressing us towards postures of humility and attitudes that embrace the necessity of interdependence for flourishing Christian life. We are recreated in Christ for community, for Christ and his purposes, and to be together with one another. And so Paul is exploring the nature of ministry partnerships through different examples here. One example was of a person who was detached from the community in Philippi, that's Timothy, and one from the example of one who was closely attached to the faith community in Philippi, and that is Epaphroditus. And so we see in these partnerships, there can be storehouses of encouragement. As Paul communicates in verse 19, sending Timothy to Philippi was his earnest hope so that in verse 19, he says, I too may be encouraged by hearing news about you. Paul desired to know that the faith community he had planted and established in Philippi was doing well. He was hoping to hear that the people were putting into practice that which Paul had written to them and instructed them to do. And so Paul is sending along a trustworthy friend and ministry partner, someone who he could trust and someone who they could trust. Timothy was a person who would not only uh, speak as someone that had a deep concern for others, but as Paul writes in verse 20, there was no one else like him who, look what he says, will readily demonstrate his deep concern about you. 
We know from the context of Paul's letter in our previous weeks together that there were others who had been busy pursuing their own concerns. Paul introduced us to a few of these groups earlier in chapter 1. Then again, he challenged the church not to follow their example at the beginning of chapter 2. And now again, he introduces Timothy as one who puts others' interests above his own. This is important. Timothy was a young man who was able in humility to count others more worthy than himself. And though Timothy himself was detached from the church in Philippi, he had proven himself faithful. And this rapport was important to establish with the community. They could trust Timothy. Now remember, Paul's words in chapter 1, there were some who were taking advantage of his imprisonment. They were going around, they were preaching the gospel, and they were doing it to do what? Fill their own pockets. Build their own platforms. And why was Paul in prison? He was in prison because there were others who were happy to infiltrate vulnerable Christian communities and do harm. To figure out who these followers of the way were. To break the communities apart. And to have the people who were proclaiming Jesus as Lord to be imprisoned. Put under house arrest or otherwise. Timothy's reputation preceded him. Paul says as much when he reminds the people in verse 21. That they knew of Timothy's qualifications. And that Timothy had been like a son to Paul. Serving alongside of him in the advancement of the gospel. And as a decision was looming in Paul's Roman legal case, he was confident and hopeful that he too could follow behind Timothy to once again be reunited with the community in Philippi. And so in this first example that Paul gives us, Timothy stands for us as an example of a faithful gospel partner. He's trustworthy. He's considerate. He's hardworking. He's wired with a servant heart. He's committed to Jesus and the gospel. And as such, he was a source of encouragement to those that he served. And these examples, this is how it connects to the beginning of chapter 2. These examples are images or representation of how one's life might look if it were centered on having and living out the mind and attitude of Christ. So in other words, Paul's saying, here is Timothy. He's my servant, like a son to me. Here's the example of one who has the mind and attitude of Christ. But in this text, Timothy's not the only model for ministry. There's a second. His name is Epaphroditus. Can we say that one together? Epaphroditus. Good. I'm going to say that it's going to come up a lot here in the text. And he is a Philippian, closely connected, more attached to, to the community. He's one of their own. He was sent from Macedonia to Paul while Paul was in prison to minister to Paul on behalf of the church in Philippi. And like Timothy, Epaphroditus was also worthy of Paul's commendation. Look at verse 26, or 25, sorry. But for now I have considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you, for he is my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger, 
and minister to me in my need. One scholar put it this way, Epaphroditus was, quote, belonging to the same family as a brother. He was laboring towards the same goal as a co-worker and was sharing in the same trials as a fellow soldier with Paul, end quote. As a brother, Epaphroditus demonstrated his own brotherly love by laying aside his own ambitions to take a monetary gift from the church in Philippi to Paul. As a co-laborer, he saw the goal of the advancement of the gospel as worthy, and he was willing to wade through his own personal inconvenience and discomfort to ensure that Paul was ministered to while under house arrest. Then finally, as a soldier, Epaphroditus was subject to the same trials that Paul faced. He too could have found himself in prison. His life was very much in danger. And indeed, as Paul would soon reveal, Epaphroditus fell ill on his travels, even nearing the point of death. Look again at verse 26. Indeed, he greatly missed all of you and was distressed because you heard that he had been ill. In fact, he became so ill that he nearly died. But God showed mercy to him and not only to him, but also to me so that I would not have grief on top of grief. Paul's grief would have been terribly magnified if a person who had been sent by the faith community that he had planted in Philippi would have fallen ill and died while caring for him. And Paul realized that as news of Epaphroditus' illness got back to Philippi, that the people there would be anxious about his health and well-being. So it's Paul's desire to put them at ease by sending Epaphroditus back as soon as he's healthy enough to travel again. Paul's encouraging the church here to to welcome him and to receive him with great joy and to honor those who serve the Lord in a same or similar manner as Epaphroditus. And as Paul wraps up his thoughts regarding Epaphroditus here in these verses, some scholars believe it's very interesting that Paul's using a bit of a play on words in regard to the Greek meaning of Epaphroditus' name. Take a look again at verse 30. Regarding Epaphroditus, Paul says he risked his life so that he could make up for his inability to serve me. Now, to understand this, we have to recognize that Epaphroditus was a Greek name. It's a Greek name. If you recognize, you may see the name of a Greek goddess in there. Does anybody see a name of a Greek goddess in there? Epaphrodite, right? It's part of his name. And his name very much meant favorite of or belonging to Epaphrodite. In that context, Epaphrodite was the Greek goddess that was also known as Venus. She was the goddess of gamblers. Scholars who have studied ancient Rome and the pagan temple worship have discovered that when gamblers would roll their dice as they were gambling, they would actually shout out the word, Epaphroditos, as they rolled their dice. It was a way of invoking the favor of this goddess as they gambled. And so some scholars have concluded that Paul very well may be using a play on words related to Epaphroditus' name when he says that Epaphroditus risked, or 
the same word could be gambled his life to show love and concern for Paul. As one who was closely attached and connected to the faith community in Philippi, like Timothy, Epaphroditus was a shining example of one who was living out the mind and the attitude of Jesus. You see, sometimes when we get to this part of chapter 2, we think all those words that came above related to Christ, that are so powerful and so beautiful. And then, how's this connected? Well, this is connected as here are two shining examples of how this might look lived out. In the end, it would be Epaphroditus who would carry back Paul's letter to the Philippian church. It's the gift that continues to give. Generations of Christian communities, including us who sit here today, have benefited from Epaphroditus' bravery and his ministry partnership with Paul as we're still blessed and encouraged by the contents of the letter to the Philippians. So as such, it's amazing. If you think about it, Epaphroditus is not just a gospel partner that Paul could be thankful for, but he's also a gospel partner that we too should be thankful for. Have you been blessed and encouraged by the ministry of the word in the book of Philippians? Yes. I hope we could all say yes and amen. Well, if you have, then we need to be thankful for men like Epaphroditus who risked their life to take these letters back to their communities and share them so that they could be read and encouraged and heard and shared amongst the Christian communities that were being planted all around the Roman Empire in those days, we can glean encouragement from the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. But I wonder what lessons we can learn or we can take away regarding the value of ministry partnerships. How can ministry partnerships facilitate the patterns and attitudes of humility and interdependence? That Jesus demonstrated. So we've seen how they can be an encouragement to us. We understand how they can be a source of joy to us. But how can they facilitate the things that we are called to live. As we want to follow the mind and the attitude of Christ. There's a few encouragements as we wrap our time up together today. Regarding ministry partnerships that I want to share with you. The first is this. Partnerships are vital for ministry effectiveness. Partnerships are vital for ministry effectiveness. The bottom line for us in the testimonies of these two men is that partnerships are not just optional. They're not accidental, but they're God ordered and they are purposeful for the Christian community. Real life giving partnerships, they promote unity and solidarity in the Christian community. They are sources of pride and joy for us. However, these sorts of partnerships, if they are truly meaningful and life-giving, will require sacrificial love and a willingness to lay down our lives in the service and care for one another. Now, we did not plan this this way today. This is the way that we find this working often uh, as we lay out the contents of sermons. But today is Global Ministries Sunday at Calvary Monument Bible Church. It just so happens that it's the day that we're talking about honoring our co-laborers, and here we are talking about our global partners. And in your weekly this morning, there is an insert 
And one of the ways in our faith community that we practice honoring our co-laborers for the gospel is by financially supporting them, which we did and we will do in our offering, even as you go today, the box is in the back. If you weren't able to give in the plate, if you want to give on your way out, the gifts today, they go to support our global partners entirely. But another way that we do this is through faithfully praying for our co-laborers and our global partners. And this sheet, this insert in your weekly today is one of the ways that we facilitate this very important branch on our trellis of ministries here at CNBC. We, we say global partnerships, global ministries is important to us. And it truly is. It's important that we honor those who are doing the work of the ministry, both near and far. Last week, we had a local partner share in our pulpit from Dive Inc. This week, we heard from a global partner in ways that maybe 15 or 20 years ago, we could never have imagined. Wednesday night, we gathered as a, as a group of prayers in prayer meeting. And who was on prayer meeting but one of our global partners in Costa Rica, Andy. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing the ways and the opportunities that we have more than ever today to honor, to support, to pray for, and to lift up those who are serving side by side for us as we labor together in gospel ministry. This coming year again, in the month of March, March 12th through 19, you are all going to have an opportunity to participate in this exact thing as we do another one of our global outreach conferences here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. It's a wonderful tradition. Another way to support our local and our global ministry partners. And we're going to look forward to that time. But I would encourage you to use these tools. This is in your weekly once a month, this tool. This is a discipleship tool, friends. This is something that you can take you can put this on your refrigerator, put this someplace where you look frequently, and you can see and know a tangible way, many tangible ways, of how to pray for people who are laboring for the gospel all over the world. And they're not strangers. These are individuals who have connections and deep networks into our community here at CNBC. So I would invite you and encourage you, take advantage of this opportunity, be praying for and participating in the global ministries of our church through both your prayers and your financial partnerships. And there's another uh, kind of encouragement regarding the value of ministry partnerships, that these partnerships provide encouragement and joy as we witness and hear testimony of the gospel effectively working. Were you encouraged today by Bud and Barb's testimony? I was. And I, I encourage every time we have a local or global partner here sharing, whether they can be in person or whether it's in video. And it provokes joy. It provokes joy in my heart to hear and to see how the gospel is going out in so many different ways to so many different people throughout the world. I'm also encouraged uh, as it relates to the two men that we read about in our text today, Timothy and Epaphroditus are examples of what it looks like for different believers from different cultures and communities to find themselves drawn together by Jesus. Right? I mean, that's, that's the reality of one of the things we're seeing in our text today. Timothy was from Lyconia in Lystra, which was in Asia Minor. His mother was Jewish. His father was not. 
And as such, he was not circumcised. He did not easily relate or identify with either the Jewish community or the Greek community. Yet, here he is as a powerful and effective ministry partner to Paul. He had believed on Jesus, he was saved, and he was now doing the work of the Great Commission. Epaphroditus was Greek. No Jewish background. And yet, able to be mightily used of God to accomplish the purposes that God had for him. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus are clear evidence that the power and effect of the gospel was working And it was advancing in the growth and establishment of the church. This is just a generation or so after Jesus had ascended into heaven. And the people of Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth are beginning to hear, believe, and be transformed by the power of the gospel. You know, Epaphroditus, it wasn't that this was just a guy who had heard the good news Uh, accepted Christ and now was just kind of hanging out on the margins in his Christian community. He was a man who had dove all in. He was willing to lay it all aside, to give it all up, to go and to be with Paul, putting his very life on the line for the furtherance of the gospel. And there's a third. Ministry partnerships highlight the qualities of humility interdependence, and sacrificial love. Friends, ministry inside and outside of our Christian community uh, is not something that God intends for us to do alone. We can't. We can't. And I know in our world, in our culture, there is so much pride around just being able to do it by yourself. Believe me, everything inside of me Every day wants to wake up and figure out a way to just get through the day by myself. I can do it. Leave me alone. I got this. For some reason, God has not allowed me a profession, a wife, or a family that allows me to ever feel like I'm alone. (laughs) My wife can attest, there is not one place in our house where you can be alone. It just, I mean, well, maybe one, the bathroom. (laughs) Boy, that bathroom gets a lot of use. (laughs) Sometimes just for a five-minute break. (laughs) But no, like, we can't. It's not the way we were wired. It's not the way God wants it to be or the way that he intends it to be. We need one another. We're to be together communing with one another, cheering one another on, encouraging one another, lifting each other up, supporting one another, praying for one another, going with one another, being together in different places of ministry. If you ever stop by here on a Wednesday night, it's amazing to see what's happening. This place is buzzing. There's people everywhere, everywhere. And and we're working together for one purpose, One cause, the advancement of the gospel, that people may be introduced to Jesus and find life in him. We're meant to do this together. And not only do we have a great and ever-present need for Jesus, but we have a great and ever-present need for one another. And when we recognize this, it facilitates interdependence and humility 
and sacrificial love. Friends, when I recognize that I can't do it alone, that I need other people, that facilitates in me humility. Because now it's not about me and what I do and my strength and effort to pull it off, but about those around me who are helping to empower and equip and support and sustain and lift up in these seasons. Friends, I might say this, and I'm going to say it gently, because I I preach to myself up here too. If I, or we, are finding it hard to love, trust, appreciate, and find joy in the partnerships that God has placed in our lives, then I might suggest that the problem is more likely with me or with us than with those partnerships. And, And that can happen. I get it. I get it. People can let us down. Hurt, disappointment, unmet expectations, disagreement, division. They can often lead us to feel jaded, insecure, scared, uncertain, separated, even unwilling to open up and allow ourselves to be or to have meaningful partnerships with one another. Hey, that person, that person hurt me before when I opened up to them. And they cut deep. They used something I said. They turned it and used it right against me. And next thing you know, we're clamming up. We're closing ourselves off. Dangerous place to be. Friends, we're supposed to look different from the world. We're not to enter partnerships expecting that they're always going to be perfect, comfortable, easy, and convenient. That's just not the way it is. It's not the way it is in parenting. It's not always comfortable, promise. It's not the way it is in marriage. It's not always easy. Partnerships are not meant to be that way. Instead, we enter partnerships expecting that God is at work and that he is going to be faithful to form us as we are faithful to learn how to love, support, encourage And lift up one another as we work for the sake of the gospel in our homes, at our jobs, and within our communities. So as a point of direct application this morning, I'm asking myself, and perhaps you would ask yourself as well, who are my partners in the ministry of the gospel? When is the last time that I rejoiced in their work, that I honored them, that I expressed gratitude to them? For their partnership. One very real way today that we do this. The fourth Sunday of every month. Is our global partner updates. Our global ministry Sunday. It's one very tangible way. But these are habits that should be present. In our own personal and individual lives. As well. We are all called to the work. Of advancing the gospel. It wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Timothy. It wasn't just Epaphroditus. Every one of us is called into the Great Commission, the work of making disciples and advancing the gospel. And God calls us to do this work together in partnership with others. As our team comes, let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word today. We thank you for the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, powerful examples of people who ministered to Paul even as he was in prison and recognizing that he had great need for these men. They were there. And Lord, you worked through them in powerful, mighty ways 
as they embodied the mind of Christ and lived it out. And Lord, we want to be good partners. We want to be good partners to the people that you place in our lives. And we would recognize this morning that that is hard. That sometimes we close ourselves off. We are sometimes scared. Sometimes, um, for whatever reason, we, we just clam up and we push people away. And, and Father, we, do, we don't want to do that. Uh, we want to be open. We want to be supportive and encouraging we want to be able to lift up and celebrate, to be encouraged by, and to rejoice in the work that you're doing in the lives of other people. And so we pray today that you would help us to be effective and strong partners in ministry to the people that you've placed in our homes, our spouses, to our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, to our neighbors, to the people at our jobs, to be partners with them, Lord. What might that look like? Father, help us to be different, to look different, to serve differently, to speak differently, and to live differently, to live in a way that would direct those that you put in our lives to the person of Jesus and that they might be refreshed by the patterns of our lives. Lord, we look to Jesus as the well, as the source for our life and our sustenance, and we pray that as your spirit inhabits us and indwells us this week, that he would pull from within us the patterns and the attitudes that would be pleasing and honoring to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.